So we've got Romans 8.28 today. So, I mean, we are, this is T-ball league, okay? We're putting it on the T. We just need to swing. All right, Romans 8.28. If you know Romans 8.28. I went, so I went to Lifeway this week, and I went to um, McKay's this week and bought more books on theology than I'll ever read. But, you know, fun stuff. So um, who we've got for Romans 8.28. Good. I was hoping this would take a couple of minutes. So. <clears throat> Yeah, you're trying to encourage people to stand? Here we go. That's okay. <clears throat> Romans 8.28. Anybody else? I will let you stand up at the end as well, because you will have heard it at least ten times at this point. So, all right. Mr. Sean. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the call. Amen. That's right. Thank you much. And we know to those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. That's right. Good deal. Miss Amy V. It's our favorite verse. Our favorite verse, right? Yes. For I know. Hey, you know what? This works together for His good, for your good too. That's right, absolutely. Thank you much. Miss Darla? And we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Bingo, you got it. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to them who are called according to his purpose. Very good. Awesome. I'm a King James girl. Go for it. <laughs> Thou knowest that thy goodest doth workest for thy good. Yes. Right. Something like that. And we Bingo, you got it. I don't know, you got to come up. You got to come up. There's the gifts, yes. Yes. There's rewards. It's Sunday school. It's got to be fun, right? You know? Yes, Dave? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and even those who are called according to His purpose. You got it. Awesome. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. Bingo. All right, so anybody else want to stand now that you've heard it ten times? <clears throat> They're snatching up some good stuff. So we got CDs, we got books, we got all kinds of things. Romans eight twenty eight. Anybody else? Any? <laughs> awesome. Any anybody else? Romans eight twenty eight. Literally, I sat aside like ten minutes of Sunday school this morning for this. So if you think you might know it, then I still got some stuff. So. So has anybody really enjoyed systematic theology? Like, I mean, you just, you, you really have, this has helped, this has been beneficial, this has been good, this has been helpful as far as structure is concerned. Uh, so Dave's continued to keep his hand up the entire time. That was pretty good. Um, I've had some, several folks. Uh, does anybody, would anybody like to follow along in the actual book? Because, like, if you had a book, would that be helpful? Would that be helpful, Jonas? Would you read it? Every week you would read it. Come here. So I didn't put this one up. There is a test next week, Joe. I'm ready for it. There you go. I'm ready. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right, so today, um, today we're continuing our series on the doctrine of God. So we've looked at the, the existence of God, the knowability of God, the attributes of God. We've looked at uh, all different sorts of things. We looked at the being of God, what his fundamental nature is. We looked at the creation of God. Uh, last week we looked at the what? 
Uh, the providence of God, yes. And today we look at miracles. And you might think, what? That doesn't seem like that kind of goes in a straight line there. Well, it, it sort of does because you have to have the things that we've talked about so far to have a good working understanding of miracles and how this operates. So a um, couple things. This, will pro this is for sure the most deviation that I am taking from Grudem's book so far relative to the order in which he teaches things. Uh, I've listened to Grudem teach, I don't know, 10 or 15 hours or so at this point uh, on different topics, and he's a very, very humble man, um, very low-key. He is not overly aggressive or arrogant, uh, as some are that are very well-educated. Uh, and the way in which he structures this chapter does not lend itself toward humility. It lends itself toward, here's my definition, here's why everybody else's definition is wrong, and then we'll get to some scripture. And it was, it just, it just didn't feel right. So I'm going to invert that a little bit today. We're going to start with the scripture, come up with what these words mean, walk into a working definition, and then show how some of our understandings around miracles may actually promote a really, really improper view of God and the way in which he works in the world. So on your handouts, you'll see a whole bunch of blue uh, text, and those are the verses that we're going to be looking up today. So you've got your Bibles? Open up your Bibles. So let's go to Genesis 1.14. Now, there are four different words in the Bible that are eventually translated into the English word miracle. Two Hebrew words and two Greek words. Uh, the first Hebrew word is oath, uh, and the blank there is sign, S-I-G-N, or sign. And uh, we all understand signs. Uh, signs point people somewhere. Signs explain things. Signs show us information that we need to know. Uh, many times it's in very important information, and sometimes it's just helpful information. So uh, we'll look at a few of the instances of each one of these words in the Bible. Uh, each one of these occurs over 50 times in either the Old Testament or in the New Testament. So this is not an exhaustive list. We're not going to go through that. Um, if, you want, if you have a question about an exhaustive list, I can show you how to get an exhaustive list very, very easily. Uh, there's online tools that are free that make this very simple. So... Genesis 1.14. Who's got Genesis 1.14? And, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Right? So what does that mean? So obviously the, the word oath here is the signs there. So what is, what is the signs and seasons and days and years? The seasons make sense, right? We, we kind of get that in the... Days and the years make sense. So what about the signs? You're all going, are we going astrology on you here? No, no, we're not going there. Are we? Tim's going, I'm not sure where we're going with this, Jim. It's okay. So one of the things that it's helpful to see, uh, we do Bible study backward. Um, most of us do Bible study backward because we, we want to understand what one word in the Bible is and I want to understand this topic. So we do a search on an English Bible and we find out where that word shows up in the English Bible. And then we go look at all those words and we say, well, that's what that word means in the Bible. Not really. Um, there's a better way and the better way is to figure out all those places where that English word shows up and then look at the underlying words 
And that helps us understand what that theme really is in the Scripture. Because the, the Scripture was not originally written in English. It was originally written in Hebrew and Greek. So we go back to those languages, look at those words, look at where those show up, and that gives us a fuller understanding of those English words so that we get a better understanding of the theology. So Genesis 1.14 is for signs. What kind of signs? Were there ever any signs in the heavens that were used by anybody in the Bible? The wise men, right? The wise men looked up at the sky and said, we're supposed to go that way to find this king. Cool. So, so you, I love Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is one of the richest chapters in the whole Bible because it, it's literally, this is, I'm, I'm not being facetious or, or funny here, it is literally pointing to Jesus in Genesis chapter 1. I mean, it, you just don't get out of Genesis 1 before you start talking about Jesus. Now, you may not know it. You may have missed the sign, but we're, that was a joke. But we are talking about Jesus in Genesis chapter 1. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So this is one of the words for miracle in the Old Testament. Uh, what about Genesis 4.15? We'll just keep kind of scrolling through. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Okay, so Cain killed Abel, right? And uh, God put a mark on Cain. The word for miracle, the word for sign is this word mark. Same idea. We're, we're marking him some way so that, so that everybody understands you don't kill Cain. So the question is, what was the mark God put on Cain? We don't know. Notice I didn't give you a chance to answer there. We don't know. This is this sign, this signal. It's meant to say there's something else here. Genesis 9, 13, what do we got? And this is the one where we smile, right? So we go from mark on Cain for killing somebody to bow in the cloud. So this sign can either be really, really scary or it can be reminding us of something that is a promise that never stops. So when we see the rainbow, we are to be reminded that what? God's not going to kill us with a flood again, right? Cool. Yay, God. Right? This is wonderful. Um, Exodus 7.3. Who's got Exodus 7.3? Okay, so now we kind of get, now we kind of start to, to inch our way into, all right, this sounds more like a miracle because the rainbow, I mean, while cool, didn't really sound like a miracle. And the mark on Cain, while interesting, didn't really sound like a miracle. And the signs in the stars in the heavens didn't really sound like, a, but the, so read that, that phrase again, the signs and signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. My signs and my wonders. So here's a good Bible question for you. What's the difference between a sign and a wonder? As good as I've got. Because, because the word for wonder is the next Hebrew word. That's uh, uh, mopeth. It almost is pronounced like moped, but it's actually mopeth. Um, sorry, it's just redneck trying to read Hebrew here. Uh, so we'll keep going. Exodus 31.13. Let's go to Exodus 31.13. Excellent. So when we have talked so far about these signs, what do the signs always do? They point, right? We are pointing somewhere else. It is not about that thing. It is about pointing somewhere else. So as we develop this idea of, 
what a miracle is and how this works, it's pointing somewhere else. Uh, Numbers 2-2. Notice how these are in order. You just kind of keep flipping. You like that? Because that's how Blue Letter Bible gave them to me. They gave them to me in order. So I just wrote them down in order. Yes. Excellent. So we're counting something, right? And we're counting something next to, what was the word for sign there? Yes, the standard, the banners. These ideas that there's a flag, a literal sign, right? We've got a flag here. So in battle, there are battle flags. There are flags that you, you raise up that mean troops go this way. There are flags that you raise up that mean troops come back. There are tr flags that you raise up that means everybody go forward. These are standards. These are battle flags. Uh, signs that point to something else. Second Kings 29. Yes, yes, they each would have had a different uh, flag. Um, there's a lot of theories on what was on the flag and what was, you know, I don't know. I, I would think perhaps the name of the tribe would have been on the flag. Um, I've read some really wild commentaries on what could have been there, and I'm thinking name would be helpful. Um, just my two cents. But Second uh, Kings 20, verse 9. Then Isaiah, then Isaiah said, this is a sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go back 10 degrees? Right. So um, the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go back 10 degrees. Have you ever seen the shadow on something start moving around? You ever seen a shadow on something on the sun start moving around? The answer to this one's no. Because um, the sun goes in one direction, Right. Not the band, the, just one direction. And sorry, it's just, this is what happens when I stay up late and watch football. So I don't get enough sleep, so the filter's gone, and it could be really dangerous. So we'll have to make sure I listen over this one again. Um, so this, this sun, uh, this shadow moving back and forth, uh, is Isaiah, right? See who this was? Yeah, so Isaiah's talking, and Isaiah's saying, if you see the shadow moving around in ways that it should not move around, this is the sign that God is about to do this. Right? Would, would we pay attention if all of a sudden you looked at your, I guess it would be our iPhones at this point, um, and the, the time started going backward on the iPhone. We didn't need the sun anymore. We just need the iPhone to roll back. You go, ah, something's wrong here. Right? Yeah. Okay. It's a sign. It's pointing to something else. And then Isaiah 7.14 Therefore this may Lord, be my favorite one. Sorry. Therefore the Lord shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Right. So pointing. When you see this sign, something big is about to happen. Um, I took my daughter, <clears throat> what, a month ago maybe? Uh, maybe three weeks ago, something like that. We went to go see Yo-Yo Ma. You know who Yo-Yo Ma is? He's a cellist. I confess I didn't really know exactly what it, I knew it was kind of big. Um, cello, right? He played with the uh, Chattanooga Symphony. And uh, I had never heard any of the music they played before, but I had also never seen uh, anybody's hands blurry in real life. I thought that was just a TV thing that you couldn't keep, but his, it actually was blurry. He was moving so fast. I'd never seen anybody go that fast on anything. But when we were outside, 
about to go into the Tivoli. The Tivoli has this big thing on the front of the building. It's got, thank you. It's got a sign. Yes, it has a sign. What do you think it said on the sign? Yo-Yo Mai is here. Yes, it was fantastic. And I wanted to get a picture of that in the background with my daughter and kind of, you know, that'd be kind of cool. This would be good. And, you know, she wants nothing to do with getting a picture. <laughs> nothing to do with a picture. So my hopes of getting a picture in front of this sign were just dashed. She just broke them and poured them out on the ground and stepped on them. It's nothing. It's just nothing. All right, so the next, uh, that story had nothing to do with Sunday school. This makes me think of signs. Just, so some of this is just a literal sign, right? Uh, so Mopeth is wonder. So that's the second blank there. Uh, it also means a sign or a miracle. Um, the, the little numbers in the parentheses, these are the Strong's numbers if you want to go look these up and see more of the words and that type of thing. So, uh, Uber geeks only, all right? This is what Bible study is all about, dead guys in the morning. Exodus 4.21. Who's got Exodus 4.21? Yes. So, all the wonders which I will perform in, right? So, what's the difference between a sign and a wonder? So, I carry around change in my wallet because it scratches my phone if it's in my pocket. And I have a coin. This is a nickel. One side is heads, and the other side is, no, it's not, it's a building, and there's no tails, what you're talking about. Um, in my view, the sign is the thing, and the wonder is the awe that comes from it. It's the closest that I can explain to it. So when you get one, you kind of get the other, and sometimes the Bible talks about both. Sometimes the Bible just talks about the sign. Sometimes the Bible talks about the sign and the wonder. Depends on your perspective. But it's all lumped in here together. I'm not going to draw too fine a distinction between the two things because it's, it's kind of one concept. All right, so let's look at uh, a couple of these verses. Uh, Exodus 7-9. Who's got it? 7-9. It's really close to 421. When the Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, show a miracle. When the who speaks to you? Pharaoh. Pharaoh, okay. I thought you said sparrow, and I was going to say, I don't, I don't remember a sparrow talking in the Bible, so you flipped over to Aesop's fables there, and we're in the wrong book, so great. When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, <laughs> show a number for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So sometimes the wonders are really cool, right? Because when was the last time you saw a stick turn into a snake? <laughs> Most of you are going to praise God that sticks don't turn into snakes, right? Because every fall, our yards would be horrible. Can you just imagine for just a second, all the, it would be the worst horror movie ever, you know? Sticks fall from the ground and they all turn into snakes. It's like Aaron's Revenge 3 or something. It would be horrible. <clears throat> so Ezekiel, I told you, no filter this morning. Ezekiel 24, 24. Yes. So here we have a very explicit, here is a sign to you and you shall know something about me as God. Right? This is pointing people toward God. And then the last one, Joel 2.30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Woohoo. It's like lions and tigers and bears, right? 
This is really bad. There can be great signs. There can be horrible signs. There can be wonderful wonders. There can be terrifying wonders. Um, we're not even going to read all those verses in Revelation about the really scary wonders. So now we're going to switch over to the New Testament. <clears throat> Two words here in the New Testament that can be translated for miracle. The first is dunamis. Uh, it means power. It means power. This is the this is the energy with which something is able to be done. Many times this is the inherent power that, that comes from just the existence of a thing. So Matthew 6, 13. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Don't let us... Say it again for me. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Excellent. So even in the Lord's Prayer, right? Is that where this is? Yep, Matthew 6. I was going to say, good. I hope that's kind of where that is. Um, even in the Lord's Prayer, this, this concept of power, this power to rescue shows up. Matthew seven twenty two. Many will, say, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord uh, here we go. Yeah. have you not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? And read the next verse. Uh, and when will I declare, uh, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. Which is kind of scary, right? Because we typically associate wow, miracle-like things with the power of God. And there's actually a section in today's lesson about false miracles. Miracles that do not have the power of God, that actually have the power of the enemy. The power of Satan behind them. And Satan can do some pretty amazing things on this planet. It's, it's really kind of scary, some of the stuff that he can do. Uh, but every time the power of God goes up against the power of Satan, it's a pretty cool victory for God. So... Uh, nothing to be scared of there. So Matthew twenty five fifteen. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. So where's the word power there? It's the ability, right? It's just the ability that we have to go and to do work. Uh, this inherent ability that God gives mankind to go and to exercise and to do something uh, for His glory. Uh, Luke, I'm sorry, Mark 5.30. Mark 5.30. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in Himself that the power proceeding from Him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garment? But He was aware of, of the power that He had. And He knew that it could go to another. Which this concept is wonderful for us, Right? Because God can power us, can empower us in our lives. So this is a beautiful story that teaches a, a much larger spiritual truth. So uh, Luke 4.36. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is, for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Yeah, because, you know, the next time you see a demon-possessed person, and somebody walks up to them and takes care of business. Maybe we pay attention to this guy, right? Maybe this guy's not like me. Maybe this guy's a little different. Maybe he's hooked into something that's a little different. Uh, Luke 9, 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. You see this? This same concept. He gave them power. So this sharing, God can share this with us in a way, and it is beautiful. Uh, Luke 10, 19. One more page. Uh, 
No, seriously. Luke 10, 19. <laughs> Again, a division took place among the Jews because of the word. Really? I was like, it is, it is entirely possible I fat-fingered one of these. So it is that I'm leaving that in the realm of possible. That is in my power to do. So, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents. Ah, uh, here we go. Yeah. And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be any means to hurt you. That's kind of cool, right? It's like, yeah, I'll take that one. Uh, Acts 1.8. Somebody probably knows this one, right? So my question is, is it power for power's sake? Is it power just so you can have power and be powerful? No, it's purpose. We are pointing toward something else. All this power is used to point toward something else. Uh, what's the next one? Acts 6, 8. Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Cool. Now, let's talk about Stephen for a second. I like Stephen. Stephen's a cool dude in the New Testament. Um, I just now got why you were laughing, so that, that took me way too long. It, it bothered me, so I stopped and thought about it. Okay. All right. Uh, this is Stephen, by the way. Um, so say the, read the verse again for me. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Right. So Stephen did great wonders and signs among the people. Was Stephen Jesus? No. Was Stephen one of the apostles? No. Okay. Um, Was he a deacon? Was he a deacon? Yes. Yes. Thank you. I was searching. I, I could not remember. So thank you for the validation. So is this reserved only for deacons? No. You sure? No. <laughs> Sometimes it's just fun, Stephen. Sometimes it's just fun. Um, what did Stephen's use of that power get him? Got him killed, right? But what do we see him doing? Pointing. He's pointing. He's using that power to point men to Christ. And it is beautiful. Uh, Acts 19.11. Unusual miracles. Which I love this phrase because uh, to me, you kind of have already encompassed unusual with the word miracle, but unusual miracles. Which makes you wonder, what did they not write down there? Have you ever wondered what that white space was in between two verses? And you're like, could you not have just given a little more description between these two verses? That would have been really helpful. Unusual miracles. Just soak on that one for a few days. Um, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Here we go. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. This is the part for us here. Woo, there we are. We're the Greek. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and 29. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teaching, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all work miracles? So I'll ask you this question Does everybody work miracles? How do you know? Anybody who's been saved has been part of a miracle? Okay. Interesting definition for miracle. Well, because of Romans 1.16, it's the power of God to 
Very good. Very good. So we're linking different verses here. What about after the moment of your salvation? How many miracles have you worked, Jonas? You don't think any miracles? Amy, miracles that you've worked? Worked, no. Received several. Cool. Anybody else? I feel like you... I, Children, I, I was just going to keep asking until somebody said it, because I knew this was, somebody was going to say it. The children are still alive. This is a miracle, absolutely. Um, so, so I'm going to stop reading verses here. I'll let you uh, look up the rest if you want. The, the Simeon, the next one is sign. Uh, but I wanted us to get a really good feel, and I think we got a good feel, for the broadness of these terms, right? They're, they're used in a lot of different ways, from this power to this wonder, to this sign, uh, all these different ideas. So here's Grudem's definition. Uh, and we're probably not going to get past the definitions today, and that's okay. I'm just going to post the notes online, and we'll just leave it at that. So, uh, so Grudem's definition of a miracle is as follows. Uh, a miracle is a less common kind of God's activity in which He arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to Himself. first question is, is that how you would have defined miracle? Doesn't seem nearly jazz handsy enough, does it? <laughs> Feels like there ought to be more pizzazz in there. You know, I'm not going to do the jazz hands. I do this for, my daughter does this and it's, it's hilarious. So. Um, she will not do it for you, nor will she acknowledge that she has ever done it. So just in case you're wondering. Uh, so, so now that, yeah, that would be a miracle. So now that we've kind of fleshed out some of this broadness of these terms, I want to walk through Grudem's rebuttal on some of the more common definitions of miracles, ones that I have been taught, ones that you may have heard before. Um, the, the definition that I've probably heard, the two that I've heard the most, is a direct intervention of God in the world. You, you ever heard this, this kind of a concept that God directly intervened here? Well, the problem with that definition is that it implies a very, and this is not in your notes, it's okay, this definition implies a very deistic view of the world. It implies that God is over here and the world is over here. And that's kind of where they stay. And if God intervenes, then, ooh, that was special. Well, you know, we've learned the last couple of weeks that God is always intervening. The very existence of the universe is upheld by the power of His Word, right? So, so there is never a moment where he is not intervening, where he is not engaging, where he is not directly involved with all things. So to say that a miracle is God's direct intervention really implies a misunderstanding of all the other constant intervention that he has. Does this make sense? Okay. Which is something that I, my, my brain just kind of broke like three weeks ago when I read this chapter. and It was like, that hurt my head. Because I've heard a lot of smart people say that's what a miracle was. Right? And this to me, this breaking of my head was to the, one of the big uh, positives in understanding why it's important to study systematic theology. Because you, you remember the example that I used when we very first started this series way back when was Legos on this long table, right? Remember I, I brought in all of Caleb's Legos that we could fit and we filled up like five six-foot tables. It was ridiculous. And we looked down the table and we said, systematic theology is looking for all the red blocks as opposed to looking at one little slice. Because one little slice is how we typically do Bible study. We typically find one chapter or one verse and we focus on it, and that is good. But we can sometimes overemphasize one chapter or one verse to the exclusion of all the rest and not understand the whole of how it works all throughout the Scripture. So to me, 
balancing a good understanding of God's providence, of His being, of His involvement in the world against how miracles and what they really are, that's very helpful because it keeps me from getting too far off into deism, which is a problem in that God doesn't engage with the world. And it keeps me in a God is very engaged, constantly involved in the world. So um, I'm going to skip the other definitions because I think I've kind of made the point there. So Grudem goes on to make the idea that miracles are very characteristics of this uh, New Covenant age, that a lot of miracles occur in the New Testament, specifically around the time of the apostles. Um, the purpose of miracles, we'll go through several of these real quick. One purpose of miracles is to authenticate the message of the gospel, right? I mean, one of the ways that people knew Jesus was Jesus was he did all these miracles. Because the Old Testament said when you see somebody that can heal the blind and heal the lame and heal the sick and raise the dead, sign, that's the Messiah. Jesus shows up, he heals the lame, he heals the blind, he heals the sick, he raises the dead, and they went... Yeah, but you don't fit in our box. Right? This isn't, this isn't the Messiah that we wanted. We wanted the Messiah that would go set us free. We didn't want a Messiah that would say, be humble and be meek. We wanted a Messiah that said, raise up arms and overthrow the Romans. And that was a problem for them. So, I'm going to make a little aside here. There's two words up on the board. And these are your next two blanks. Continualist and cessationist. And I'm just going to touch on these concepts real quick. And this is probably the, the chapter... This is not probably. This is the chapter where Grudem, where Grudem and I would, would separate the most so far. Grudem is a continualist. So all the gifts in the New Testament continue in their full force and effect until today. Uh, most Baptists are cessationists, which is the idea that some gifts operate differently today than they did early in the New Testament. Some. And we will study this in a lot more detail at the end of part six of systematic theology, the doctrine of the church, when we look at the gifts of the Spirit. This is kind of a parenthetical here, kind of head nod toward, uh, it'll be early 2016 when we get there. So stay tuned. We'll get there. Unless the Lord comes back and then I'm not worried about it. And then we'll know the really clear answer. Now, the thing that I want to remember here is that we hold this continuous versus cessationalist. Am I going to say open or am I going to say closed? I'm going to say open, in a very open hand. This is not going to be something that we at Stewart Heights are going to be breaking fellowship over. Um, so second purpose of miracles here, I'm going to do these real quick, uh, is to bear witness to the fact that the kingdom of God has come. This is very similar to the first. Third purpose of miracles is to help those who are in need. This is kind of the duh moment, right? Because miracles can help. So, th so the guy that was lame that's no longer lame. He identifies with this one, right? And then uh, a fourth purpose of miracles is to remove hindrances to people's ministries. Uh, fifth purpose of miracles is to bring glory to God. Remember, this is pointing to Christ. Pointing to Christ. Now, if you want to look at false miracles, there are several verses there. We're not going to go look them up right now. You can go look at those on your own. But the big question that Grudem leaves us with is, should Christians seek miracles today? Should we pray for miracles today? And, and I, think, I think the answer is yes. Um, I'm very open-handed on this one. I think the answer is yes as long as it is not about me, right? I want to perform a miracle, so God give me the power to perform this miracle. Ooh, time out. We've, you know, now I sound like the devil in Isaiah, right? This is, this is all about me. It's about lifting me up. That's a problem. 
if the, if the idea is to help, to further the gospel, to help someone understand, to heal, to restore, to bring into good community, to restore fellowship, great. Pray for miracles. This is, I think this is fine. Uh, God loves to give gifts to His children. Uh, he talks over and over about all the things that, that we don't have because we don't ask. Ask away, right? But don't hold God guilty if He doesn't give the miracle that you want, right? So I have to be careful how I balance this desire for a miracle with the reality of the way that sin has impacted and results in our life. Uh, part of this is just the way life works. And it is sad and it is awful. And it should remind us that there is a better day coming for the believer. There's a day where I will not need miracles. How about that one? How about we end on that today? Because there will be a day where I don't need miracles. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So in the middle of your table is a piece of paper that says Sunday School Weekly Update. If you will make sure to put your prayer requests on that and pray for miracles. Go for it. Let her rip. Uh, pray as a group. Make sure your name is at the bottom where the attendance section is. And uh, pray as a group and you're dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday School.